very welcome to episode 11 of the Sideline Cut podcast. On this week's episode, does a great sports star make a great coach? Myself, Dylan and Joe discuss and, uh, and come up with some of our answers on the subject. We also discuss the greatest record in sports, both by an individual and by a team. Um, as always, we would be very interested to hear your thoughts on both of our subjects. If you want to get in touch with us, at sideline underscore cut on Facebook and all of them, James. What? On all of them. On all of them, yeah. The at sideline underscore cut and at sideline cut. Um, yeah, that's uh, that. Let's let's just get straight into it. So we had this conversation off air, and we decided we'd make a, a a subject matter out of it, and it's it's about sports stars that had unbelievable careers on the pitch. And whether or not they can go on to become coaches of notoriety or coaches that are, in a word, shit. Yeah, I think we looked at a few examples. Um, I think we had a few players that had like undoubtedly great playing careers that then had a stab at management and it didn't quite work out. I think the, the obvious one would be Graham Souness. Obviously, world-class midfielder, especially in his Liverpool days. I think his management career started out fairly poorly in his Liverpool days. Um, did win an FA Cup, all right. Then went on to manage what Newcastle, Sel- or not Celtic Rangers. Um, he was at Blackburn for a while. Uh, he just never really went anywhere with with coaching. Like he had average teams and kind of kept them in average positions. But I think he'll always have a bad reputation for being the first Liverpool manager to not win the league there since Phil Taylor would have been before Shankly yeah yeah Graham Souness isn't kind of the one that really jumps out the one that probably jumps out to me is the Gary Neville I mean yeah I I tried not to pick him as my example but um, yeah he had a terrible stint in Spain alright now maybe in a couple of years he could go back to an English team and you see I mean we've all heard him talk about football we've all been very impressed he's a genius he knows his football. He yeah, really he knows, knows his football. Like, I would have been one of those people that grew up hating Gary Neville. Oh, yeah, I would because agree. he was a prick and he was a United prick, and you know, like it was one of those things where yeah, hate inside of his face. <laughs> like. As a Liverpool fan, you love to hate Gary Neville. You yeah, know? Um, but you know what? I've, I've grown to like him as a pundit. Oh, he's brilliant, and, and he's you know he's very rarely wrong when it comes to his punditry. So. Like I'm happy enough for him to stay a pundit and not try to be a manager again. Yeah, I'd, I'd nearly like to see him give it another go. I'd miss him on Sky Sports. Like I like him and Carragher. They they play off each other well, and I think like obviously two of us Liverpool fans said we hated Gary Neville, and now he's grown on us. I think a lot of United fans are the same with Carragher. Yeah, yeah. That has done they that. Have a very good relationship. I, it was probably a strange move for him to go to Spain, Spain for his first job. Yeah, especially considering he had never played in Spain. Yeah. So I thought that was odd, but probably didn't speak Spanish neither, did he? I don't think so. But um, yeah, well, at least he was able to tell the league of their own boys about the restaurants in Valencia. When well, yeah, yeah, I remember <laughs> seeing that. Um, any other examples of you know top class, top level sports stars that failed at being managers? Diego Maradona. Like his managerial record was never going to be, you know, the way. Sometimes you see players and you think, oh yeah, he'll make a good manager. And it tends to be your your kind of calm, almost stoic captain type. 
Yeah. Like if you looked at Roy Keane when he was playing, you'd have said, good manager. Yeah. Like you might have even said it about Graeme Souness. Yeah. You would not have said it at any point about Diego Maradona. Well, I was going to leave the Roy Keane one till later, but now that you've brought him up, I mean, the jury's out. Like we all seen what he did at Sunderland. Great job like, at Sunderland. Yeah, but then next year he's gone. You know, like he wasn't given much time. No, like, but he, he took them over very early in the season. I know they were in the relegation zone, but it was only two or three games in and got them promoted to the Premier League. So if you do that with Sunderland, that's successful. Now, in in his first year, and he was championship manager the year, yeah. that same year. Is he fired the next year? Yes. Um, they the tried to, or did he last the whole season? Oh, I didn't last the whole season. It would have been March, if I remember correctly. March-ish. So uh, Ricky Spragia came in and took over for the rest of the season and uh, kept him up. Bit of a cult hero. And so so for, for someone who, you know, took over into a season, got them promoted, would you say he wasn't given a fair chance? Um, or were they going to go it, down? It could be argued. It's one of those situations where the club, you're in that window of the year, kind of February to April, a lot of teams in the t- bottom half of the league, if they're afraid of going down, they'll chance changing the manager because you normally get that boost of results. Did Sunderland go down? Nope. Stayed up so with Spragia or whatever his name is. Ricky Spragia. Um, so I guess that proved to be correct. So he went. his next job was at Ipswich. Uh, Ipswich, yeah. Didn't last very long there either. A uh, year, year and a half, maybe two years. Can't exactly Did they recall. get promoted in that period of time? No, or? I don't think so. Uh, and then we all know his last job was, well, second last job he went to Forest then, but was the Irish assistant manager. Assistant job. manager. I think he did a pretty good job there. I like him as an assistant manager. I think he could probably be a little bit hot-headed to be a manager, especially given there's certain, especially in modern management, you can't be the autocratic leader anymore. You have to know what players to put an arm around, know what players to shout at, whereas I think he's very much a, you do this, if you don't do it, I will shout at you, kind of. Let me give you... I like him as a as an assistant manager there, definitely to Martin O'Neill, who would kind of would have played off him with a slightly different approach. Do you think he should be given the opportunity to manage a championship or a Premier League side again, or would you rather just see him stick with the assistant manager role that you say he's good at? I'd like to see him get a crack at another championship team because he's proven he can do that. Mm. I'd like to see him give it another go, and with that extra experience now that he's had. Like at Sunderland, that was his first real managerial job. So like, yeah, he was fairly fresh to the scene. Whereas now he's he's seen a lot more of what goes on in terms of management, and I think he, I think he'd do a reasonably good job. It's definitely worth a punt for some championship team if they're looking for a manager, if they're looking for a no nonsense manager. Yeah, I feel like we we might see him at Celtic, possibly before we see him at somewhere else. That's that's very possible. Although Celtic is still a. I know oh, it's still Scotland, it's a, it's still it's a, a big, big club, big big club. But uh, there's no margin for error in Scotland or for at Celtic. Absolutely not. No, the Rangers on their back. Now. Yeah, I suppose for for me, one of the one of the guys that I grew up looking up at was was Paul O'Connell, and you know, he's in any Irish rugby fans that mind. He's like one of the greatest players they've ever seen. Oh, he's hero. he's the one man you would have said, oh, he's definitely nailed on to be a coach, and the jury's still out. I mean. He's done some underage stuff, but went to Stade Francais for a season and didn't last a season. Now, nobody knows why. Was it his decision that he didn't like it, that he didn't like France? 
you know, was it that he didn't get on with the players? Was it that it didn't suit him? Now, I listened to an interview with him a couple of weeks back and it was, you know, he wouldn't be in any rush to go back. He'd like to do some coaching in the future, but he's not in a rush to go back there. So does that mean, you know, that he didn't like it or that he wasn't any good at it or, it's you know? It seems comparable to the Gary Neville situation mm. where he went for his first coaching job straight out of his comfort zone into yeah. France. Yeah. Like I think a lot of players, like if you look at any great players that have transitioned into great managers, they've nearly all done it in either in the same club or in a club with a similar environment to the one where they were successful as players. If you're mm. looking at Guardiola, same club. Zidane, same club. Dalglish, same club. Yeah. Ancelotti, same club. Speaking there, same clubs there, Joe. Uh, Magic Johnson. Yeah. We had this. We, we got this off the internet. Already, James, looking at me here. Who is Magic Johnson? You, are, you just you just pull out that one fact every time. I'm kind of looking at you, going, "Where is he after pulling that one out of?" Uh, uh, probably Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> um, For a lad who didn't discover the internet until he was about seventeen, uh, <laughs> not doing too badly. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, Magic Johnson, uh, six games in charge of Los Angeles, uh, five wins and eleven losses. Out of six games. Sorry, what's that? Six. <laughs> <scene. laughs> I was thinking that's some going. Sorry. Oh God! And yeah. he got he got fired after sixteen games, did he? Eleven losses out of sixteen. Yeah. Um, yeah, for, for someone who had uh, an incredible career as a basketballer, yeah. that, that's what he played on. Oh, Jesus, uh, same with the likes of O'Connell and uh, moving to a completely foreign environment probably isn't a great start to it. Is is there anyone that comes to mind in in the GAA that you know was good on the field and just didn't quite cut it as a manager? You're looking for an answer, you are. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea, to be honest with you, James. To off the top of my head, but I know there would probably be a lot of uh, lot of coaches that didn't have a, a career that ended up. Well, that's and that's our next thing. I mean, Liam Sheedy is the one that you know sticks out in the GA like that. Like he, he'll tell you different, but I mean, he was a cornerback. He wasn't touted as one of like he was on and off the Tipperary panels of his of his time, and like turned into one of the like the best managers that we've seen you know um, like the, the big one I suppose that everyone knows is the, the Jose Mourinho or the Alex Ferguson's of yeah. this world that you know Rafa Benitez Arsene Wenger like weren't necessarily footballers not notable players at all you know and went on to become some of the most successful managers of all time yeah Mourinho's story is actually very interesting because I think he got a job at Barcelona first as a translator and he ended up Becoming a, slowly becoming a coach under Bobby Robson, and then he went on to get the I think the Benfica B team job, and then got the Porto job, and from there he just wow. blew up because he went unbeaten in his second season with Porto, won the Champions League. He started as a translator. I think I, so. Yeah, I never knew that. That's and um, yeah, obviously went on to Chelsea then, and yeah, it was a special one, and so on. So I think we we've all heard about his career from that point on. Ferguson played a bit in Scotland as well, but I think he uh, he got the Aberdeen job quite young, and he coached Scotland after Jockstein had a heart attack for a little while. Yeah, and then obviously went to United, eighty six, and took on from there. Like, if you're to become a good coach or a manager at a sport that you weren't necessarily the greatest at, 
what's a good career to make a change from? Like in the GA, we see an awful lot of teachers and, you know, the likes that are used to dealing with people and dealing with, let, let's call it, <laughs> explaining simple things to simple creatures, you know, becoming good managers and good coaches. What would you say is like a good career to change into a sports manager from? I think a teacher is a good one. Yeah, you're probably going to be, be training young lads. you got to start early. You have to teach well, I think the main thing you see with good managers is they have a clear idea of what they want to do. Mm. And the next step then is getting that idea across to your players. Yeah, it's, it's communication. It's all about communication. That's a huge one. So I think teaching is a, is a big one. Um, from another point, you're looking at stuff like, especially with football, recruitment and kind of players mm. and stuff. So you probably will have managers more and more coming from like data analytics backgrounds. Yeah. Which won't be one for the, looking the at old the, school looking at the, mon- the money ball theory exactly yeah which we've seen yeah. be very successful across a few sports now yeah. so I think it's only a matter of time before your managers from that background start coming in yeah because you have managers have been looking at it more and more yeah well I think that's like it's half the theory with Liverpool isn't it that it is uh, yeah because it was the Boston Red Sox took that off um, Oakland Raiders uh, or Oakland Athletics um, now again the Liverpool football it can't really be a full money ball because there are certain things that you just gotta pay for when you're stuck for them. So yeah, it's like more difficult to apply. Like baseball is a very rigid sport in yeah. that from that point of view. So fire stats and stuff. Yeah, exactly. Now football it can still be applied to, but I think you'll see a lot of younger managers coming in that probably will have no history of playing football. You look at Viet Boas as one. Like I think he got his UA for pro license at seventeen. Right. So obviously no notable footballing career there. Yeah. Like yeah. I just knew he was going into being a football manager straight away. We'll finish this by asking one question of each of you. Pick a player, any player, any sport, that in your mind has what it takes to become a top-class manager. Oh, do you want to go first, Dylan? Um, I have two in mind. Um, one is currently coaching at Celtic, uh, Damien Duff. Right. Uh just from watching his analysis on uh, RTE throughout Champions Leagues and World Cups or whatever, I just find he's fascinating to listen to and just the way he reads the game and analyzes the game is, is brilliant. I reckon he's one definitely that could uh, potentially be a good manager. And the other then is from a hurling background, Brendan Maher. Knew it was coming. Yeah, both of us knew that. We didn't even have to wait for you to say it. I haven't said I haven't said that name in a while on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> He's not playing for Tip at the moment. Over so. seven minutes, I'd say. <laughs> uh, yeah, Bren- Brendan was definitely one. I think that could go on to have a brilliant career. Yeah, you're probably right on both counts there, Joe. Uh, I've gone for one, and it is James Miller. Yeah, I think most of the reasoning kind of speaks for itself. He's very much a senior pro in that Liverpool dressing room. Um, I think he's, we've all seen he's one of these lads he does everything right he's very disciplined um, very good to the younger players we all saw with the, the FA Cup game against Shrewsbury where he didn't go on holidays and he stayed around and he trained with yeah. them and you'd see him even on the sideline he was just I know he was sitting down in the crowd but he was over the edge he was sitting forward for the whole game he had that enthusiasm and I, I can see him becoming a very successful coach yeah for me it's, it's we'll, we'll go across the pond it's, it's LeBron James I mean to many people he's already coached most of the teams that he's played for yeah you know and it's it's one of those things like he's looked up to from everyone in the game he'd loved 
he just seems to have that brain that will translate and people seem to respect him as well so any young basketball player comes yeah so so i think i think it's one of those things that that's just a natural transition for something like someone like him yeah you know and you even see him the way he's on the sideline with with his son at his son's basketball games in the high school it's yeah he's he's the one for me that will be uh will be one of those that will turn into a good manager well i think a lot of that when we look at players who have become good coaches you're looking at someone who if you put them into the changing room that any young player will have to immediately respect them well and you'll have no choice not to like it's just look look at the traits of the the four that we've just named it's leadership it's communication it's respect from your peers you know there are certain traits that yeah. they've all got you yeah. know so yeah do we think uh, Ronaldo or Messi could they go on to be a, a good coach I like either of them could and prove me wrong but I would personally say that neither of them I don't think they'll try for one I think if they did Messi would probably be more likely of the two that was going to be my exact answer I I don't think either of them has what it takes to be a good manager I don't see Ronaldo doing it I could see a lot of pressure being put on them from their countries to take over the national team yeah especially Especially Argentina have had a lot of issues with managers like they've given Maradona the job before and yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. Ronaldo just doesn't seem like the the management know. type, Not and really. and Messi just doesn't seem to have that aura about him that you know people could look up to. And I don't I don't mean that from a size thing, but it's it's I don't know. It just he doesn't come across as that kind of a. If you walked into a dressing room and Messi was at the head of it, would you not stop to listen to what he has to say? Like as soon as he starts talking, does everyone shut up? I don't know. I, I genuinely reckon he could stand at the, stop, at, the t- at the top of a dressing room and no one would say a word and just listen to what he has to say. But I think what one thing that would play against him would be the fact that he spent his whole career at the one place. Whereas I think, I think... I think I think the, it would probably be the national teams who would come looking for him. So if he wasn't managing at Barcelona, like he could get Barcelona's B team or something, be a nice job for him, try and take the same route that Guardiola took. Whereas Ronaldo yeah. would at least have exposure to leagues in what Portugal England Spain and Italy so it's a more varied experience of football that he can draw on whereas Messi is you know it's, it's one club it's one country you can hardly see Ronaldo going down the David Becker route and just starting his own team altogether that seems more likely I could see that <laughs> he could start his own brand. Uh, that's, one, that's the kind of an ego move that would suit Ronaldo down to the ground one player who I could see becoming a very good coach and he, I'm not his biggest fan Zlatan I can see him walking out I think Zlatan already commands respect in any room he walks into even if he doesn't get it immediately he will literally command it but I think he is his ego too big for a job like that though his ego is on a different planet but he is also again he's done it in so many different countries he has such discipline I mean you see the physical shape he's in now yeah yeah for a man of his like you always see big players always struggle with more injuries yeah. he hasn't yeah. and the knee injury at United he recovered from it remarkably fast yeah. and I think he has the ability to put that across to younger players as well yeah. and he's definitely got that single mindedness that you need that if someone is questioning his tactics or his signings that it won't affect him in the slightest mm. yeah definitely the only thing that might get in his way would be his ego being too big and yeah just a, a little anecdote before we finish up on this one. Um, 
Henry Shefflin, you know, one of the greatest hurlers that we've ever seen, has gone straight into management with his club team, Ballyhale Shamrocks, won a couple of All-Irelands with them. But something that I heard yesterday is that he was told, take a year off by his family because you're getting Cody's job when he's done. So you heard it here for us, Brian Cody, to finish up this year and Henry Shefflin to be the manager next year. Well, Cody, Cody has right? gone on that break. Cody has, or not Cody, Shefflin has taken, he has taken break, a break. Yeah. So, so uh, it would not surprise me at all to see Henry Shefflin managing Kilkenny from 2021 season. Yeah, he is the natural successor, really, you know. Me. So, um, perfect. All right, moving on. So, there are many, many records across many, many different sports that could be considered the greatest record in world sport. We'll go through a few of them, but I'll be asking the question, which do you think is the greatest individual record or team record in world sport? Um, for example, let's one that stands out immediately to me is Michael Phelps. Over the course of his career, managed to accumulate 23 gold medals, three silver medals and two bronze medals in the Olympics. Like, to me, that'll probably never be broken. Like, for for Phelps in swimming, it's one of those things where you have a lot more opportunity to win medals than you do in, say, as a sprinter or as yeah. a footballer or whatever. Yeah, but it's one of those records that, that may stand. Is there any record that you guys can think of that stands out to you as better than that? Um. It's kind of hard to, like, there's obviously a lot, you're comparing apples and oranges, but kind of look at records that you can't see being broken. Yes. Those ones. Like, I think Phelps is one. I have a slightly more left field one that I can't ever see being broken, and that is uh, the Brazilian goalkeeper, Rogério Senai, who scored 131 goals in his career. 131 goals as a a goalkeeper. Yeah, he used to take free kicks and penalties, but when he used to take free kicks, he'd obviously have to sprint back if he didn't score. And he played into his 40s as well. And he was a brilliant free kick taker. Absolute dead eye from the set piece. He's absolutely sensational. Yeah. How many of those goals were free kicks, do you know? Or, like, did he score any from play? Uh, not that I know of. Probably went up for a few mm. corners if he used to get forward that often. Mm. Probably got the odd rebound off a penalty as well, I'd say. Um, I don't have a figure on that, but... Yeah. Dead eye from set pieces. And But the thing is, it wasn't just... There were fluky ones. There were, like... Some of the best goals you'll ever see in your life. Oh, like a genuinely top class set piece yeah. taker. If, like, like gen- if you had five ten minutes spare after the podcast, obviously, go in and watch some of those free kicks. Definitely it's pinging them into the top corner. Absolutely brilliant. Still um, have you any? I suppose one for me was uh, uh, got this one while we were researching the topic. I suppose was uh, Henry Shefflin, eleven all stars in total, but uh, he got seven of them into one position which is currently a record being held by himself. Uh, 11 in total is phenomenal. I think that's the most ever as well, but 7 into 1 position is a fair one. What, what, was, what position was that? Centre forward? It was centre forward, wasn't it? That's what we said, yeah. I can't remember. Yeah, centre forward was what we said. Um, Yourself, James? Uh, for me, like at international level, for anyone to, and we'll go to rugby for this one, but for anyone to get over 100 caps at international level is just an incredible feat. And Richie McCaw had 148 caps when he retired. 
and like that is just like especially when it's such a, a contact and sport as rugby is grueling like and when I went and looked I knew Richie was like I knew he was up there with them but Alan Wynne Jones has 145 Jeez. and is still playing a yeah. massive part in the Welsh team like he could get to 155 by the time the end of this year is over you know so like you say records can't be broken but that's one that probably will go um, by the end of this Six Nations anyway it's just an incredible feat yeah sensation they they have a lot of respect for people to get over 100 caps in rugby don't they there was a big ceremony I believe I don't know I seen it there recently on the Twitter when Rory Best retired they kind of had a, a big a big deal people yeah year. I think it's just because it doesn't happen like it happens so rarely that yeah, it's, it's such it's a huge achievement like it's, it's the same in football as well isn't it's it it's becoming more regular in football just with obviously there's more international games in the year yeah yeah longevity of careers and stuff yeah you're seeing a lot more so was it the other the other rugby stat that kind of sticks out to me is like there's only three players that have scored over a thousand points in rugby in their careers um one of our own ron lagara has a thousand and ninety something um johnny wilkins on 1200 and something but dan carter has 1598 points like all three of those players are retired but like you look at um, Johnny Sexton Johnny Sexton's on 890 like there's there's no one catching Owen Farrell Johnny Sexton no one like that there's no one catching 1598 no, that to me is one that's never ever going to be broken he was sensational though thank Carter he's still playing is he? yeah he's in Japan wow Jeez, on the website it said he was retired yeah and he went back playing again wow that is incredible let me go for one over a much shorter span now and um, again it's one that I can't see being broken but this is uh, a lot of people would have heard of it at the time a few years ago Robert Lewandowski when um, he scored five goals in nine minutes for Bayern Munich I think it was against Wolfsburg five goals in nine minutes five goals in nine minutes wow absolutely sensational you could see like Pep Guardiola was manager at the time and he just looks absolutely dumbfounded <laughs> Flabbergasted, like it was just. Is that like the first nine minutes of the game, or just? Uh, no, it was early in the second half. Would have been about oh, say forty six. Between the first and fifth goal was nine minutes. Yeah. Well. Wow. Yeah, absolutely sensational. And there was a scissor kick from the edge of the box. And everything. It was unbelievable. Again, if you've nine minutes, go to YouTube. Have a look. Back in the, in my early days watching football, Fowler had the record for the quickest hat-trick of all times it was, was it Arsenal it was three and a half minutes or three minutes 50 seconds or something uh, I think so yeah I that's been beaten since though hasn't it yeah Sadio Mane beat it in the Southampton days go away yeah but Fowler's is still the earliest from kickoff in the Premier League right but in terms of first to third goal Mane yeah. beat him okay um, you gave us another one earlier as well do you want to go down that one it was uh, the 1958 World Cup yeah, a lot of people will obviously remember it for uh, Pele. He was only 18 and scored twice in the World Cup final, which is still quite the feat. But um, top goal scorer in that World Cup and the top goal scorer in any one World Cup is just Fontaine for France. He scored 13 goals. To put that into context, I think uh, Miroslav Klose now has 16 and he's the all-time top scorer in the World Cup. Just Fontaine is three behind him and only played one World Cup. But to score 13 international goals... In six games. In your career is incredible. But to score it in, in one World Cup is just... Sensational. Again, yeah. that's a record that I don't think will ever be broken. Yeah. If there was any two players that could have, it would have been Messi or Ronaldo. And they look like they're probably not going to be there by yeah. 2022 at that level. Yeah. 
Do you need any more for us? Um, I suppose speaking of goals, uh, our own Seamus Callan, goal in every game in the championship just gone. A neighbour of yours. Neighbour of ours, yeah, German inch by. He's he, he, actually good story for you. No, myself, Seamus Callan did a, a school fashion show together back <laughs> in the day, uh, probably 2008, 2009. Oh, That's my claim to fame now. Myself and Seamus walking the catwalk in our, ti- <laughs> in, our in our temporary gear. <laughs> oh, is, there, is there video footage of that? Please tell me there's footage. There's, there's not footage. I suppose there's probably photos on the internet if you went searching. But uh, Seamus being a... I can uh, guarantee you I will go searching. Seamus <laughs> being a schneery enough fella, he, uh, I, had a, I had a Hurley and helmet. He told me, uh, just drop the helmet and... Uh, Shoot the crowd with the Hurley, and sure, I mean, <laughs> oh, no. I've been young. Tell enough, me you didn't. I've been young enough, chap. I said, yeah, no bother, Shams. Shut the crowd, right? Uh, but yeah, that I suppose, yeah, Shams Callan going in every game in the championship last year. Yeah, Do you reckon that, that's likely to ever be broken? It it can't be broken, but what, it could be. In, it could be equal. Do you think how regularly do you think that would happen? Uh, that's the first time it's ever happened. Ever? Yeah. Wow. Um, and look, it's like goals in Hurling are hard enough to come by at the best yeah. of times and for someone to score in every championship game, it'll be very, very difficult to see that even even matched. Like the greatest hurlers of the game, like the Henry Shefflins, the DJ Carries, didn't do that. So Especially when it's knockout. Yeah. Do you know, you could yeah. like, get knocked out before the other yeah, final. Yeah. yeah. You can't do it then. So the other GAA one that, that sticks out to me is the obviously the more recent Dublin five in a row like you could see them doing six but apart from themselves you probably couldn't see anyone ever doing that again uh, no geez apart from Dublin no you can never see it being that again you know so um, yeah just massive records I suppose one that, that kind of stood out to me this year um, was the t- the first sub two hour marathon yeah one hour fifty nine one hour fifty nine minutes yeah now it doesn't officially count because of like some tailwind or some pacemakers or yeah, I'm not sure like exactly. Anyone managed to run twenty six miles in under two hours? That's yeah, like that counts. That counts. Yeah. Um, um, similar to Dublin's five in a row, actually one that is very likely to ever be broken has to be Real Madrid's five in a row. Oh, five well, European, five cups, European cups, the yeah. first five European cups as well. It's sensational. Now, the only team that's come close to it is Real Madrid, and they won three in a row. Liverpool won a Champions League this year. Would you put them in the bracket of? The possibilities of breaking it. I'm doing five. So you have to do three more just yeah. to level it. Like that's in dreamland. Like I can't see anyone ever winning five European Cups in a row. Mm. Um, Is there a reason why they won the first five? Like did they were they the founders of the tournament or they were just the best team in Europe by a mile. They had De Stefano, Pushkas, Hento. They weren't it, like they weren't the Galacticos, were they? No, the Galacticos were Florentino Perez's baby. In um, kind of 2000 and 2000 to 2004 or 5 yeah. that kind of Zidane, Figo, Beckham, Ronaldo yeah yeah, yeah yeah Um, we spoke again obviously before we came on about you know how scoring 10, 15, 20 goals in a season was an incredible feat it used to be the benchmark of you your know, if you're a striker your top class striker Ronaldo when he came to United first Ferguson used to have that that bet every year, but you can't score over ten goals. And, yeah, you know, Messi scored ninety one in a calendar year. Yeah, two thousand and twelve, if I remember correctly. 
That'll surely never be beaten. It can't be. It's, <laughs> it's absurd. Yeah. It's There's no human being should be capable of doing that. Like, yeah. I remember watching that year? He was just mesmerizing. Was just you couldn't take the ball off him. Just everything he did was perfect. For a full twelve months, just ninety-one goals. Yeah, mad, mad. Um, I can't. I can't see anyone ever beating that. Superwoman. You couldn't. There's no. There's no one like. No, Salah, you know, there's no one like that that no. is good enough to do that. It's good enough to win a game. Maybe Mbappe down the line. Yeah, you just don't know. Maybe if he stays in France. Yeah, <laughs> definitely not Neymar. Yeah. Well, I hope Neymar doesn't because. No, not uh, a chance. No. I don't think anyone likes Neymar. Neymar, Neymar doesn't even like Neymar. Well, I can see why. <laughs> um, my favourite one, and there's two of them, but my favourite one is the is the Usain Bolt. Like the 100 metres and the 200 metres and like everyone just presumed that the 200 meters Michael Johnson record was never ever going to be beaten yeah and Usain beat it twice like just incredible like and I still believe he could have gone faster definitely in the 100 meters yeah watch that back was it 9.59 was that the final record yeah I can, I, and he's, he's easing up the last 15 meter like because he's just so far ahead he's just like yeah I'm just gonna enjoy this for a second literally a second but I think he could have could have squeezed another couple yeah, of milliseconds do, off it maybe do you think he suffered from the fact that like he knew there was only a certain amount he could take off it and like there was probably going to be plaudits every time he broke a world record so maybe he was trying to beat it as many times as possible rather than beat it by as much as possible no I think if you have the opportunity you want to just run that as fast as you possibly can so that your record because you, you want the record to not he be broken for a while noticeably eased up I know I know, but I don't. I think that was just a case of he knew he had the win secured. Yeah, he had the gold medal. That it was just I'm going to enjoy this. How often can, how often have we ever seen anyone I'd have like, a moment to savor a hundred meter sprint? I'd like to have seen him at his full best. Like he he says himself that he never quite put a full race together. That when he finished fast, that he never got out of the blocks quick enough. Yeah. And, like imagine what he could have run if he did. And they reckon, like, I watched um, the documentary about it, but he ran his whole career while injured. Like, he had just back problems and stuff like that due to his sheer size. He can't have been too bad. (laughs) (laughs) Anything else that stands out to you guys about the the greatest record in in world sport? Uh, No, there was a couple of other football ones. One was similar to that Seamus Callanan one when um, Jairzinho scored in every round of the World Cup in 1970. Okay. Yeah, they went on to win it, including the final. Uh, what was the other one? Peter Shilton, with the most professional appearances ever. 1,327. Played for 31 years. Mad. Um, so, which one is your favourite? Or which one do you think is the best? Oh. Out of what we've spoken about, I mean, which, like, different, different characteristics and different, um, you know, but which was the hardest and which was the the best feat for me I think it's between Messi's 91 goals in a year um, and Rogerio Senai with his 131 goals as a goalkeeper <laughs> for very different reasons but the re- I haven't gone with Lewandowski or just Fontaine just because they're they're quite isolated in short periods of time mm. whereas the other two involve sustained excellence which I don't think can be broken yeah, it's it's hard to see either one of those being broken. Um, 
find it very difficult to argue with either of those I suppose from from a from a a hurling point of view I'd be going with the, the Henry Shefflin definitely the most skillful hurler I've ever seen and like seven all-stars in one position and 11 in total that's just you know remarkable yeah another one to throw in is probably Ryan Giggs's 13 Premier League medals yeah yeah we I didn't even throw that I one in there that being beaten. it hurts me to say it like but <laughs> I can't see anyone beating it yeah um, Dylan your favourite one or uh, I'm just going to go Shevin's Cannon <laughs> goal in every game in the championship uh, phenomenal feat by, by Seamus international superstar model hey don't rule it out <laughs> someday someday I know it's brilliant but uh, is there any kind of I suppose lads feats that you that you'd like to see people achieve I suppose that's the question now um, I suppose I'd like to see someone do the marathon in under two hours and it be officially recognised that'd yeah. be nice um, I'm trying to think of any other records that stand that I'd like to see broken I'd like to see any of Man United's records tumble but that's just for my own personal satisfaction um, I think seeing if we saw Liverpool break the 100 point records that'd be nice this season it looks kind of likely at this point as well um, it'll be probably a disappointing year if they don't do it at this point yeah it's been built up so much it's crazy um, I'd like to see Liverpool beat Arsenal's unbeaten record as well and I'm going very Liverpool but they're, they're setting a good few records lately so hmm. I'd love to see Tip do a 5-6 in a row <laughs> that'd be something alright I wouldn't I wouldn't then because it, it would ruin Ireland if you know what I mean I like the competitiveness I like it's knowing each year I like knowing well, each yeah. year who, who's, who's not, not yeah, knowing who's can, going to win it but can Kenny being in charge and being on top for so long didn't ruin Ireland so no it didn't um, no. even though Dublin being on top for as long as threatening to ruin football so yeah I think that's just because everyone doesn't like Dublin everyone outside of Dublin anyway they're an easy county to dislike yeah um, anything yourself sticking out James no 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 just again I, I'm a fan of all the, uh, the the Liverpool records that could possibly be done this year I do I do fancy Liverpool to start something of a dynasty this year like I'd fancy I'd fancy them to win a Champions League they won two, you know, and only league. three to go then to the record. <laughs> Again, it's it's one Stay of those it's one of those things. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those things. I mean, like any Liverpool fan or any football fan in general, everyone is speaking about, you know, how difficult it's going to be to knock Liverpool off their perch. Just because, you know, the clock factor, let's call it. But imagine Man City have to get rid of all their players. De Bruyne signs for Liverpool, we get Mbappe, you know, take over for ten years. Hey, yeah. got a fella can dream. A fella yeah, can dream. I was going to say, then you'll wake up. The <laughs> <laughs> so says, don't rule it out. An interesting one. On this week's mystery topic, we go back to Joe for another one of his, what I can only presume is another footballing tale. Oh, God, yeah. God, yeah. I don't know enough about other sports <laughs> and their histories to, to unravel them as I do with football here. Google, so, Joe. It still takes too much work, to be honest. Wikipedia. Seems to be your best friend, <laughs> gathering a lot of facts and figures off Wikipedia. <laughs> my best friend and my enemy at the same time. Um, so, so what's yeah. this week's topic? So for, let's say for a generation of people aged kind of 23, 24, up to 40, the Intertoto Cup probably rings that. a bell. Exactly, yeah. It's, you kind of get that reaction off people. So I remember that. But no one's fully sure what it was. 
like was it, there, was it like no. a an extra competition that European football wanted to, you know? I, yes and no. It's a right. weird one. Quite so it I was it was founded in 1961. It's supposed right. to be a like a pre-season tournament. Uh, the quote was used: "A cup for the cupless." Right. So you had teams could, you had to apply to okay. enter, um, and it would take place before the start of the season. Gotcha. Um, UEFA didn't get on board at the start, and they were quite skeptical because of the the organisation behind it was kind of linked to gambling and betting, and they didn't want to be getting into bed with that. So it started off as the International Football Cup. And you had a group stage, you'd knock out and a final. But then from 1967 onwards, they changed. And this was the first of a few times where it changed format. They kind of played around with it quite a bit. Um, so 1967, there was no more final. There was no winner. The winners of the groups each got a cash prize. So there was no trophy. So from, from a footballing, like imagine as a player... You think about tournaments you want to get into, you want to win trophies, like, and that's, yeah. that's what it's about. No, it was just a cash prize. Um, now, teams, a lot of teams still went for it um, just because it was an opportunity to play European football. And that was kind of the theory, was that you would have lesser teams would get a chance to maybe create these memories. Like, I mean, as obviously Liverpool fans, how many European memories do you think back on? Like, yeah. countless. I mean, same with Man United. Yeah. Like, those European nights, there's something special about them. So the plan was to try and obviously allow smaller teams to, to do this. Mm. But UEFA eventually recognised it. I think they recognised it in 1994. And they allowed two spots, two of the winners, in inverted commas, of the Intertoto Cup, to join the UEFA Cup. Okay. So all of a sudden there was an incentive for these mid-table teams to join the tournament to try and get into proper European football. Um the only kind of hiccup with it was that you had to apply so like normally where say in England say if it was the seventh place team was next if they hadn't lodged an application they couldn't enter okay. so one year in 1998 Crystal Palace who finished bottom of the Premier League got into the Intertoto Cup because no one above them applied to applied to join wow. but there was I mean there was some success I mean Bordeaux came out of the Intertoto Cup and into the UEFA Cup in 1995 and reached the final a team that had a young Zinedine Zidane and Christophe Dugary very good yeah so then UEFA allowed a third entry go on you look like you had a question there I think you're about to answer it <laughs> so you, UEFA allowed a third entry place from the Intertoto Cup into the UEFA Cup okay that wasn't it so again it started it, it had its merits I mean for teams that had either otherwise failed to go into Europe or thought they might you could lodge an application and was the Intertoto Cup where the FIFA Fair Play Awards from each country went every year? Did they go in there to try and qualify for Europe at some point? I'm not sure, because they would have been introduced around the same time as the Europa League, wouldn't they? I can't remember. I remember, I remember there used to be a fair play spot to get into the... You definitely get into Europa League. I don't know if you got into UEFA Cup. I'll have to look there. There might be a mystery topic in that yet. <laughs> I can't remember. Go on anyway. Sorry for cutting across you. That's all right. So... Where was it? Yeah, they allowed a third entry. So these a lot of teams were starting to see the benefits of it. And I think, was it Schalke, Lille, Villarreal, all did very well. We don't to qualify for the Champions League out of it. One year, the three winners all got in there. So that was a, that was a big thing for the Intertoto mm-hmm. Cup. But a lot of clubs found it just disrupted their pre-season. 
because it was a tournament and you were flying all over Europe and the prize money wasn't really worth it especially going back I suppose to go back a little bit further when like the 70s and 80s with flying across Europe with a full squad of players was quite expensive and it was just a cash prize a lot of people are kind of surprised that it lasted that long Um, so it was reformatted again in 1996 um, so they, the group winners, you had 60 teams would go into 12 groups. The winners of each group would qualify. So you had, imagine, 12 teams in three sets of semifinals. So you had three separate and distinct winners. Such an odd tournament. Um, so for 96 and 1997, that was the only time that that, that, that format lasted for was two seasons. And was it like A versus B, or was it an open draw for the like? Next as far as I know, it was an open draw. So you had your twelve group winners across mm. sixty teams, and then you could just play anyone. You could be drawn to play anyone in the semi final, and then a final. That is. And then you were one of three teams to get into the UEFA Cup. I wonder, was it like like twelve semi final, twelve players, so six semi finals? Were there three finals an open draw as well? I don't know. I don't know about that. That'd have been interesting. Whether your semi finals were yeah. drawn back already, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But um so yeah, you had three winners got into the UEFA Cup then. And then they changed it to a straight knockout from nineteen ninety eight until two thousand five, but again with three winners. Yeah. So it would land in three separate finals. Mm. Um but they had teams from say higher ranked countries, your English teams, French teams, German yeah. and so on, they'd enter it later in the tournament than some of the smaller so countries the current qualifying for your Champions League and Europa League similar yeah, yeah. a bit like um, the FA Cup you see at the Premier League teams join the third round they yeah. don't have to join in from the start ok so they changed around again in 2006 to 2008 where you had 11 groups and the winner of each group qualified for the UEFA Cup so it in theory had 11 winners but the most successful of those 11 entrants would win the Intertotal Cup so that lasted for three years. Newcastle won it the first year. Um, so yeah, the, you'd have 11 teams that go into the UEFA Cup and whoever progressed the furthest won a trophy. So say if 10 of the teams got knocked out in the group stage and you made it to the last 16 and got knocked out, you'd then be presented with the Intertoto Cup that is for having made it the furthest. That's mental stuff. Strange. So uh, in 2007, the writing was kind of on the wall really when Platini got the UEFA presidency and planned to reformat and get rid of the UEFA Cup and bring it to the Europa League yeah so by 2009 it was scrapped and all teams that would have qualified to enter entered the qualifying rounds of the Europa League and they added an extra qualifying round to the Europa League to accommodate for them so that's where the Intertoto Cup went mental stuff isn't it such a strange tournament just a complete anomaly like I remember growing up you'd hear about it and like Newcastle won the Intertoto Cup what <laughs> it's October like what's going on I love that I love the, the whole thing like it was a cash prize as well it was there was no trophy for like 25-30 years it just it reminds me of the old the old GAA competitions did you ever hear those stories about like there was GAA competitions like the Cal Cup is in Tipperary and it's like a league for mid-Tipperary only hurling teams okay. but the prize used to be a set of suits way oh, back okay. and it used to be like incredibly like it was one of the, the hardest fought tournaments because this was seen as such a a massive prize was to get like 
a brand new suit every player that was involved and on the winning team in the final would get a brand new suit it's crazy isn't it I can tell you suits are expensive do you know but for for like a hurler on a club team you know back in the day in a a not even a championship game so it became more important at the time there was probably a whole other topic in that but anyway probably is Pretty good. Yeah, I enjoyed that now. I, I remember the Intertoto Cup. I'm being a little bit older than you, so I probably remember more of it. I remember Newcastle that time. Yeah, that was 2006. They won. I remember hearing about that as well. And I think West Ham were one of the multiple winners in the 90s at some point as well. Yeah, I do have. I do have a recollection of the fair play teams getting into it. At one I definitely point. remember that. I don't know if that was into the yeah. Intertoto Cup or if that was directly into the UEFA Cup Europa League. Probably worth looking into. Anyway, very good. Oh, thanks for that. No worries. Thanks, Joel. Thanks very much. We move on to the most anticipated sports quiz in podcasting shows. Yeah, had a, an almost contested result there as a result of Dylan's questions last week. and Hopefully there'll be uh, no drama this week. No, Dylan has uh, bamboozled for us. Uh, yeah, I can't. I can't guarantee that there'll be no drama. But <laughs> kind of looking, looking at me questions here and right. thinking. The big question is, Dylan, do we have a team? <laughs> I was just about. Are we Seems teamed to be or your team. team lately? Oh, don't you worry. There's a team this week, boys. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Uh, he taught stag do's and hens had teams. By God, damn, who's the best team? Oh God Almighty! Well, right. What's the team? So this week's team, I think you'll, you'll enjoy this now. This week's team is the, the Nerdy Men, the runner-up quiz. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. So, um, It'd be interesting if nothing else. be good. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. Yeah, quite possibly uh, interesting. We'll see. Uh, there's a good mix, though, uh, across three different sports, so no one should be given out. Um, right, sure, I suppose we'll kick it off anyway, isn't it? That's how it goes. Uh, Joe, uh, your first question. So, I kind of like to mention this every now and again. Uh, In the 1998-99 season, United won the league, the Premier League this year, going on to win the treble. Correct. Some feet. But who finished second in the league that year? In the Premier League? Mm. Arsenal. Well done, Joe. Yeah. Point to Joe. Thanks. Uh, James, your first question. In the 2003-2004 season, Arsenal became the first team to go a 38-game league season without a single defeat. But who finished second that year? Hundred percent of a guess here, but Chelsea. It was Chelsea. Chelsea finished runner up. Uh, it, so it was 100% like that. I knew it was, but look in your face. I was like, <laughs> oh, no, he's, he's going to guess United here. Uh, yeah, so uh, one apiece there. Uh, Joe, your second question. So in 2006, Kilkenny won the first of what would be a four in a row of All Ireland wins, with Tip stopping the drive to, for five. But who did they beat? In the 2006 All-Ireland Final. Cork? Well done, Joe. You were at it, were you? Uh, no, I watched it, though. All right. Uh, yeah, they beat Cork. I was Cork. at the quarterfinal that year against Waterford. 
that's fact lad um, <laughs> Davy Cork 116 to, <laughs> to 113 the 2006 all Ireland final uh, James your second question oh god uh, going back a bit in time now. oh no back to when I was young uh, not yeah. that far <laughs> you, were probably, you were probably a chap back then uh, right James your second question uh, since 1965 Tip has struggled to win back to back All-Irelands uh, who did they overcome in the 1965 final to bring Liam back to Turles I would have to say Kilkenny because there was a lot, a lot of battles between Tip and Kilkenny in the 60s there was but it was actually a different Leinster team uh, Wexford 216 to 10 points the dirtiest game of hurling known to man was in the 60s between Tip and Kilkenny it's definitely a there's an old um, there's an old topic in that for some day as well shock it down right go on uh, Joe for the win Joe it's yeah Joe for the win right in 2011 2012 Heineken Cup it was an all-Irish affair. Who lost? I haven't got the faintest clue. I suppose in theory I've won in four chance, haven't I? I've won in four chance, Joe. Uh, Connacht. Ulster. Ulster. Ulster lost to Leinster. In Twickenham. I was there. Yeah, 42-14. Unfortunate, Joe. You only actually had a one in... Three chance. I knew Leinster had won it. Yeah. I kind of figured it wasn't Munster when it was an outlier, so 50 yeah. 50 after that, I got it wrong. We took, we were working, we took three busloads of, of Leinster fans over. Ooh. Yeah, it was um, a little bit annoying anyway, right? How unfortunate. For, for an equaliser in injury time. Yeah. And you know what, lads? It wouldn't be like Bamboozle to be a draw. <laughs> so, James, your final question. The 2017-2018 Champions Cup was won by Leinster. Who did they beat? Oh no. Gonna have to put you under pressure for time now there, James. So you can put me under as much pressure as you want. I don't think I'm going to get the answer. Uh, like, I don't think Sar- Saracens? No. Uh, it was, in fact, Racing 92. <sighs> Lens- Leinster beat 15-12. Yeah. Can we get some glorious music playing in the background there, please, Dylan? Uh, we'll put in some sort of Champions League-esque music. There Thanks, that would be lovely. Uh, congratulations Joe Thanks. well done well done first I'm not, time in a while yeah yeah in a few weeks alright yeah well done Joe it's a good quiz Dylan thank you that was and good yeah. I like that team that yeah, interesting James congrats you were the runner up on the runner up quiz <laughs> <laughs> thanks for that Dylan so um, we actually are not going to have a take five this week um, there's so many games being cancelled so far uh, this week with due to the coronavirus that we've decided we're not going to go and pick one because there uh, there might not be enough games to fulfill one so we're just going to go 
without one this week. Um, as always, if any of the topics that you discussed that you have an input on or if you have any stories or correspondence for us, if you want to get in touch with us at sideline underscore cut on Twitter and Instagram, at sideline cut on Facebook and sports at the sideline cut dot com if you have any emails for us. That's all for this week for myself, James. And for myself, Dylan. And in his absence from Joe as well. Thanks for listening. Cheers. Thanks very much.